Our gospel lesson is taken from Mark 10, verses 17 through 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. The man said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked. And went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded. And they said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God, for all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, I pray that you'll speak through me and when and where necessary in spite of me. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation in all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning I'd like to preach and teach on a sermon entitled, Many Possessions. Many Possessions. If you woke up this morning and came to Westminster needing to hear how easy it is to be a follower of Jesus, then this passage in Mark is a reminder that following Jesus is and always will be a difficult decision. Or maybe it is that following Jesus is surrendering to a life of difficult decisions every day. 
We enter into Mark's gospel as Jesus looks toward Jerusalem. His faith, his fate is upon him. The wooden beams where he will hang are hauntingly close. And perhaps there is a rooster somewhere preparing his crow, knowing that it will be the ambient noise to which the rock of the church will deny Jesus. And with Jesus' gaze on the future that awaits and an event that will change the course of the world, a man runs up and kneels at Jesus' feet. Jesus is interrupted by a man who seeks a response to an urgent question about, about his own healing. An urgency that we as the reader are attuned to in the rapid gait that meets Jesus on the road. A man in need of healing as he humbles himself in front of Jesus in a posture of humility. It seems like the man is doing everything right. He knows that Jesus is rabbi and teacher, and he knows that what Jesus teaches is a reward worth striving for. Eternal life permanent residence in the kingdom of God that Jesus has been speaking of in Mark ever since he arose from the waters of the Jordan and started his brief but beautiful ministry. Maybe you've heard this passage preached or you are familiar with that camel passage in the Bible. And if you are like me, it never seems to stop making you giggle while at the same time confusing you. Maybe because you all have attended Larry's class and are biblical scholars, or you grew up in pews like these, you might know that modern Bibles often title this section of Mark with a reference to the class of the man. However, Mark does not divulge the man's class until the end of the encounter, and not, expli- and not explicitly either, but in that Jesus way, where Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves, and in that Jesus way where Jesus requires more of us than we think we can sacrifice. For the man and for us claiming Christ, following Jesus is not simple. And not easy, but the reward is beautiful. So the man down on his knees, cloak dirty from the dust of the road, panting from the sprint to Jesus, affirms Jesus, calling him good teacher, and asks, what he must do to inherit eternal life. The man asserts his obedience to the Torah and asks, how can I inherit that life where God reigns forever and the kingdom that you, Jesus, speak of is realized? It is a good question. It is a question of salvation, and questions of salvation still bring us to our knees and gasping for breath millennia later. It is a good question. But then there is Jesus, constantly asking more of us, asking more of us, his beloved. Jesus' response is almost a sucker punch. He deflects his goodness to the source of all good, God, and lists off a bunch of commandments on how we engage with people. And in that jarring yet awesome way that makes Jesus Jesus, Jesus says to the man, You are going to have to give it all up, sell your possessions, take the profit and give it to the poor and follow me. The man who up until this point we did not know lacked anything that might bar him from eternal life with God considers the ask and walks away shocked, saddened, grieving. Jesus is asking for all of him, 
all of us, and that is quite an ask. But in this particular story in Mark, a chapter full of human relation stories, stories about marriage and divorce, about children, and now class, Jesus is critiquing the many possessions, the items in our lives that could possibly thwart us from eternal life. Though is it the items or is, is it the way that wealth and privilege might distort our thoughts and beliefs where we no longer feel the need to really rely on God? I can almost say with certainty that if we have to give our way, give away our possessions, not only am I not qualified to preach this sermon because you were looking at a hypocrite, but eternal life is an elusive dream that my love of sneakers and music may problematize. So over the summer, I uh, had been forced to recognize with my, reckon with my own camel-like tendencies to weigh my da- myself down with stuff, with many possessions. I was out in the Pacific Northwest earlier this summer, and I took a day trip from Mount Hood, Oregon, to Portland and back. And I was enraptured in the audible version of Marie Kondo's The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Now, that purchase was not inspired by my need to inherit eternal life, but my desire to get more stuff off the floor so I could get a dog that wouldn't chew said stuff. (laughs) Less possessions, happier future dog owner, right? The book is good, it's inspiring and beautiful, and you know, life-changing. But here is the truth. As inspired and ready as I was to start tidying up, I admittedly was listening to this book while driving from Hood River, Oregon to the Nike company store in Portland. (laughs) And I was driving to the Nike store knowing that here in Alexandria I had a closet full of sneakers with the full intent to purchase what? More sneakers. I told myself I will purge and tidy up after this last purchase. (laughs) I returned home with a few more pairs of Nikes and I began to start following the rules of tidying. Out went bins of books and bags of clothes and shoes, broken kitchen items I intended to fix but never did, and filing cabinets full of papers. Westminster, I had many possessions. And Westminster, I still have many possessions. And the idea that to follow Jesus we have to sell them and give to the poor seems like a task for those serious Christians, you know, like monks and nuns, not me. I bet if you thought about it briefly, you too might be able to do a mental inventory of all your stuff. Stuff of value, stuff of sentiment, the many possessions that you have been given, purchased, or somehow acquired in your time on earth. Perhaps, though, the ask is about more than many possessions, but our relationship with God and what we allow to define that relationship's that relationship. Perhaps when we are asked to wrestle with these many possessions, we realize that the relationship we thought we most desired, a relationship with God, has become an increasingly a strange relationship. There is a saying that if you really want to know what matters to a person, look at where they spend their time and their money. If this is true for the rich man and I, Perhaps the grief is not simply just the idea of saying goodbye to what we own, but a soul reckoning with the fact that those possessions might symbolize that we are not always who we claim to be. We are not always living as creatures dependent on a creator. 
We face the unpleasant truth some, that some of what we have accumulated in the pursuit of creating a life of success and significance has led us to believe that either by bequest or by bootstraps, we are in fact, we have in fact begun to believe that we are captains of our own ship, when actually we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And perhaps the grief is both the ask of Jesus and the inventory of not only our things, but our theology, not only our stuff, but our souls, not only our possessions, but our purpose. Jesus' response requires us to discern our goods from the good. All good things come from God. Let us be reminded that in a world that asks us to fill our lives less with the good of the world, that is, giving a portion back, caring and sharing the bounty, let us, rem- let us remind ourselves that we are called to the good when we are constantly being told that we should value the goods of the world those goods that can fill our homes and our hearts with a false narrative of what it means to live well. The passage forces us to hold intention that sometimes to live well is not the same thing as to live faithfully. Jesus' call to the man in Mark and us today is not to romanticize the poor by requiring something of the rich, but a reminder that following is not easy. In fact, it is impossible. It is like a a camel laden with luggage fitting through the tiny eye of a needle. A man goes away grieved and enter the disciples. Those closest to Jesus still incapable of understanding what it means to follow and what it means to be saved. Following Jesus was never and will never be easy. To the perplexed Peter, the mouth of the twelve, Jesus responds to his question, who then can be saved? Jesus' response is both no one and everyone. No one can do anything to be saved. Being wealthy and having access and privilege do not save you. We cannot do anything to be saved. We do not have the means, no matter our tax bracket or zip code, to save ourselves. Salvation never belonged to us. Salvation is not ours, but God's. Just as a camel cannot put one hoof and then the other through the eye of the needle, neither can we maneuver ourselves into our own salvation. For humans, it is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. God can do this ridiculous miracle of making a camel fit through the eye of a needle. And God is in the business of salvation, not us. It is as if Jesus is telling the rich man, now an object lesson of the disciples, if you really desire this eternal life with me, you are going to have to realize that your salvation is under my jurisdiction. Your salvation is my business. Leave the saving up to God. We won't be able to do anything to achieve it. The gate is both narrow and it is wide. It is too narrow for us humans to navigate on our own. But it is also wide enough that God will never cease to bring us in, even when it seems to us impossible. I told you as the sermon began that it is not easy to follow Jesus. In fact, it is far from easy to follow Jesus. 
it is actually extremely difficult. Jesus is going to ask more of you than you think you can handle. And you might leave that encounter grieved. Salvation, however you define it, is not supposed to be easy. It is supposed to be difficult. It is going to be hard. It is going to be very hard. Salvation is going to ask something of you, maybe even more than you think you can give. And it might look impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen.